Today's episode of Recovery Survey is fueled by Brainwash Coffee Company. I'm sure you've heard that drug and alcohol use is on the rise, especially during the pandemic. And Brainwash Coffee Company is working to raise money and awareness to support people seeking help. They donate 50% of their profits and their mission is to give back to the amazing recovery community. Their why is bold and their coffee is fresh. So if you want to sip on an amazing brew that warms your mind, body, and soul, then visit brainwashcoffeeco.com and use promo code recovery survey at checkout to get $5 off your first order. Brainwash Coffee Company, simple coffee for complicated people. You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. Everything in my life was under control except my food. I tried on and on to eat with moderation and it never worked. Until my journey of self-love began and I came across the concept of food addiction recovery. My guest today is named Ruba Celebi. She's the author of Beyond the Emptiness, How I Found Fullness Outside of Food. Welcome to the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Ruba Celebi, and I'm a food addiction counselor and a biodynamic breathwork and trauma release practitioner, and I'm also the author of a book called Beyond the Emptiness, How I Found Food, uh, How I Found Fullness Outside of Food. And uh, I'm so delighted to be here because I'm also a recovering food addict. And yeah, every day is a day of recovery. Every day is a day of growth. And every day is a day of connecting to my unease and attending to my needs in order not to go back and resort to the old ways of using food as my tranquilizer. So glad to have you on. And, and like we were talking about before we started, this is our second take because we had some technical difficulties with the first recording. So I'm so grateful that, that you were gracious enough to come back and, and share your story again. You're welcome. You're welcome. Delighted to do that. I've read the book, so I, I feel like I kind of already know you, and, and this is our second time recording this, so I feel like I, I already know the story, but for the people that are listening, if you wouldn't mind kind of going through your story and, and going back to your childhood and kind of telling us how this whole, how the whole relationship to food started and, and what that looks like. Yeah. So I've always had a very big hunger. I always had a very deep hunger. And everyone around me used to try to control my food. And it used to drive me nuts because I would feel policed. I would feel scrutinized. And as a child, I was so confused and I was so lost. I, I didn't understand. I mean, why is everybody so obsessed with my food? And why do I have a large appetite? As a child, I felt it was so unfair. And I was like, I hate God. I cannot stand God. Why did God create me the way I am? And it just created in me the sense that my body is my enemy. And so for me to be able to cope with life, I had to tranquilize myself with food 
And at the same time, I had to dissociate from my body as if my body did not ex exist. I escaped to my mind. I was brilliant. I was over-accomplished, always very successful in everything I did. However, my body did not exist. Everything in my life was under control except my food. And no matter how much I tried to lose weight through controlling my food intake, it never worked. I tried on and on to eat with moderation and it never worked. Until my journey of self-love began and I came across the concept of food addiction recovery and understood that it's not about willpower and it's not about uh, moderation, but it's avoiding all those addictive substances. In my case, it's sugar and flour and anything that is highly processed food and going to eating real food, wholesome food, in a structured way and having an, a spiritual program and an emotional growth program until I was able to really understand myself, connect with myself and stop using food as a tranquilizer and connect to my emotions and understand the underlying needs behind my emotions and begin finding fullness in life outside of food. I love that where you just what you're talking about there about it wasn't just learning. It wasn't about the self will. It was learning to love yourself. I love that you made that point. And I think that a lot of people have that, have that idea about recovery, no matter what the, what the substance or what the behavior is, is their mindset is like, just stop. And it's not, it's not that simple. Yeah. The thing is, because there's there's sometimes a lot of misconception. I don't know about other kinds of recoveries, but especially when it comes to food, um, there's a misconception that eating or uh, the, the addiction is the problem. However, the addiction is not the problem. The addiction is a consequence. And the, addic the addiction is there for a coping mechanism, for a survival with life. The addiction is a consequence. The problem is somewhere else. And whenever we're actively in our addiction, whenever we are actively overeating and actively really eating so much processed food, it's impossible to understand what's the underlying cause of our addiction. And, and that's why a lot of people struggle to stop this abusive relationship with food or this abusive relationship with anything that they're addicted to, because it's like this back and forth with it, but there's only growth after this relationship ends. There's only a possibility to grow emotionally, to grow spiritually after we refrain from all those addictive substances because we want to break the cycle of addiction. We want to break the cycle of compulsive eating and and when we're able to remove that distraction is when we are able to grow so what was that moment for you where where you broke that cycle where you where you had like that aha moment or you realized that the way that you were living was not healthy or or what was that moment for you like that what was the turning point i guess would be the the best way to phrase that question yeah so the turning point for me was uh, when I was 39 years old, actually. And at that time, 
I was at the peak of my career. I was a vice president in an international organization covering a very, very big re- region, which meant I was working nonstop because at any time zone, it was a working day somewhere. And I was working all days of the week because, again, given all the markets, there was something going on at any day of the week. And I was so exhausted. And my life on the outside looks looked awesome to people, but I was miserable. And I was confused because I had thought that when I would reach the peak of my career, I would be the happiest woman in the world. Only to realize that I was miserable and it was not convenient for anybody to entertain how miserable I was. It wasn't something that I could engage or have the space to discuss it with anyone. And I just felt that I was drowning. And it happened that there were a lot of reorganizations happening. And I felt so used, used by work, used by my family, used by everyone. Everyone is sucking my blood and I'm allowing everybody to suck my blood. And I am drowning. There is nobody there to hold my hand. There's nobody there to have compassion for what I was going through. And I was confused because I was like, the whole model of my existence was not working. So I started questioning everything. I'm like, here I am at 39, workaholic, uh, super overweight. I never got married. I don't have any children. What am I taking with me to my grave? A very shiny LinkedIn profile that headhunters love and a very attractive profile to be recruited by others. By, uh, by corporations. I mean, this is not giving me any happiness. And, and that's when I realized that I had invested all of my life in things outside of my control. And everything I thought was under control except my food, which was kind of my secret eating Although it was showing in my body, but in my consciousness, my body did not exist. It was my mind, my role, my work, my contributions. And I started realizing that the aha moment was realizing that I was taking care of everybody except me. And the me that needed the most attention I never paid attention to her. And she was my enemy. I was always running away from her. And and what happened is I had a bicycle accident. And that same day that I had a bicycle accident, my grandmother passed away. And I was forced to be in bed. So my rhythm of workaholism and waking up very early in the morning and over-exercising, even though I had gained so much weight and I was at the peak of my weight, but I was kind of still trying to go into that direction. And 
So I collapsed. My body gave up. My body gave up and I crashed. So I was in bed for a few days since I had that bicycle accident. My head was very heavy and, and I had like a wound on my head, on my face. And I had to relax. And after that, my body could not go back into normal functioning. I was burnt out. And, and that was the turning point is I started spending more time taking care of me, nursing myself. And that's when I began investing more into my well-being and being willing and open to be inspired by others that have taken care of their health and that have really taken care of themselves rather than attending to everybody on the outside and sacrificing my inside self in order to, to look good. So everything in my life looked good, but I was feeling terrible. And, and for me, that was something I could not understand. Looking good should equal feel good. And then realizing, uh-uh-uh, feel good does not equal looking good. And what I need to do is to feel good without having to bother about looking good. And, uh, and yeah, invest into this feel good and, and really recover. I love that point that you just made about the looking good versus feeling good. And, and I can remember in my own recovery journey, equating things that I could gain, like monetarily thinking of like, you know, I got a car or I just got the newest iPhone or whatever it was. And like equating that quote unquote, like success or whatever to my recovery. And like, look at how good I'm doing. Like I went from sleeping on different people's couches and, and barely being able to show up to work to like, look, now I have my own car. Now I have a new phone and like equating that to recovery and equating that to happiness. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it wasn't, you know, it was like, I, I still hadn't done the work on me. I still didn't, I still hadn't like figured out why I did the things that I did. And after a little while, like it just wasn't enough. It was like, I still, feel bad. I still like all these things that I'm trying to, that it's the same thing. It, it's, it was just another form of addiction. It was like, okay, I put the drugs down, but now I'm going to like start buying stuff and try to fill that hole and not do the hard work and, and work on myself. Mm. And then what do you know? I still feel terrible because I didn't ever do that work. And so I had that same kind of moment as you did where I was like, Oh, I got to work on what's inside. It, it's not what's around me. It's not my environment. Mm -hmm. It's not the things that I have that, that equal that good feeling. I have to do the internal work. So I love that point. Yeah. And, and I have to say at that time, when someone asked me, what do you want? I had no clue what I liked. I, nobody ever asked me. What do I like? What I liked was what my mind told me looks good. And looking good, it means like being loved, being accepted, uh, being, being kind of uh, the, the, the ideal kind of, and, and it's all, it all relates to childhood traumas. I mean, my mom talks about me about being the low maintenance ideal child. And I had a miserable childhood. And in my mom's perspective, I had a very good childhood. I was such an amazing daughter. But in my, my experience of my childhood, I felt so unwelcome. And unconsciously, 
my coping mechanism was to overcompensate and be this accomplished woman. So this accomplished woman on the outside, oh, look how accomplished she is at school. Look how accomplished she is at work. Look how accomplished she is at life. And, 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 and yeah, because I had kind of dissociated from my body. So my pursuit was more into male energy, into accomplishment, into being an independent woman. Uh, that is kind of really a role modeling independent women versus traditional uh, women because my mom and the environment where I grew up was very much into uh, women getting married at a very young age and being totally dependent on their husbands and their fathers and their brothers. And I, and I kind of had that rebellion against this environment. I wanted to be this independent and free woman, but at the total discount of my body did not exist. Dissociation, total dissociation and sacrifice of, of, of this body. And, 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 and it's really this, this um, coping mechanism of life. There is so much pain inside. I'm going to have this persona of the perfect girl and, and, and walk with this persona of the perfect girl. However, this operating system, the software of this perfect girl is not aligned, is not compatible with the hardware of my body because I am totally disconnected. I know nothing about that body. Well, I'd love it if you could kind of go through the process. Like what, what does your day look like today? Like how, what, what are some of the things that you've implemented in your life? What, what does it look like for those of us that aren't familiar with a food addiction? How, how does that work? Because I know, yeah, like for me, it's, it's easy with drug addiction. You're either using or you're not like it's real black and white. And with food, Obviously, you can't cut out all food because you have to have food yeah. to survive. So what, is, what does that look like for somebody that's struggling with a food addiction? All right. So first, I mean, for someone who struggles with food addiction, it's about fixing the food. So fix, fixing the food means uh, refraining from any addictive substances. In my case, no sugar, no flour. And it's all wholesome food. So I avoid no juices, no dried food. So I eat food that has a lot of fiber, just like the old days, like farmers, you eat food that grows in nature that looks complete. And, and so what I do is I eat four meals a day and those meals are weighed. There's a portion like there should be X amount of vegetables, X amount of starch, X amount of protein, X amount of fruit. And I weigh everything so that it's not me who decides on the quantities. And my brain is knows, has seen the weight and knows I have eaten enough for my nourishment. And so those, so four measured meals, four times a day. And in between my meals, I don't eat. I can drink water. I can have a herbal tea. Occasionally, I might have a coffee. If I'm out, I'm not a big coffee drinker. And, and so the thing is, with the food, it's about having a structure. And it's also about, over time, calming the nervous system, the nervous system knowing that every four hours, there's food that's going to come. Food is an abundance. Food is not going to run away. And, and, and little by little, the, the, the nervous system relaxes because the nervous system has been a kind of hungry famine stage. So when I'm eating every four hours, over time, uh, my hungry ghost calms down. 
and all of the cravings for food go away. Except, of course, when I'm disconnected from myself and I'm stressed out and I'm not taking care of myself, the cravings are going to come back. So, so on a daily basis, what is very important for me is to have my food organized. Um, and, and, the, and what I do is I take everything one moment at a time. So at this present moment, I choose to eat nourishing food. It's not like... I'm not going to eat sugar and flour forever. No. In this present moment, I'm making a decision. And my decision is a decision of self-love. And I'm choosing out of so much self-love for myself not to have to. And it makes it much easier. And it makes it very much uh, into uh, grounded, into self-love. And so I also spend some time on food logistics because I don't leave my food to coincidence given that if I'm hungry, I would be susceptible to eat anything. So I have to be a few steps ahead of myself and have my food ready. So what I do is I do meal prepping over the weekend. I freeze a lot of meals. If I know I'm going to be out of the, uh, out of the house for a long time, I have my food weighed and packed and organized so that I don't have a worry about food. I know I have healthy food with me. This is the least of my worry, even if I go out and it's not my eating time, I just go and have uh, a tea or have a coffee with whomever I'm seeing. I don't kind of accommodate people's eating times because it activates my hungry ghost. I try to stick to my eating times as much as I can. Of course, there are exceptions, but yeah, that's what I try to do. And um, I try on a daily basis also to, to be connected to myself to be, uh, so I journal every day, every day, it depends. I, the first thing when I wake up or before going to bed, I journal, I write about what did I feel this day? Uh, how was my body? What were the sensations in my body? Did I sleep enough? Uh, was I tired? I mean, did I, were I tired or anything? I write down five things I'm grateful for. I also reflect about how did my eating go? I also reflect about what kind of self-care have I done today. And it's such a beautiful 10 minutes of reflection on the day and noticing things that might not have come to my awareness when my day is going so that I know how to better take care of me the next day and, and noticing patterns. Because many times um, a relapse or a slip does not happen suddenly. It piles up over days. So when I journal on a daily basis, it helps me realize, I mean, when I'm looking into the checklist of my emotions and I have a checklist of questions, and if they're all no, or the, the half of them are no, I'm like, ooh, I have to be careful. Uh, what's going on? How can I get them to a yes? So it allows me this time of reflection. Okay, I have a lot of no's. And what can I do to not be tired? What can I do in order not to be angry? What can I do in order not to be afraid? And, and what can I do in order not to be lonely? And, and, and yeah, because if they're all no's or the majority of them are no's, then I know that there's a risk of a slip in the coming days. And I have to, uh, I have to really work on my self-care and, and reprioritize my day and rebalance my day in a way where by the next evening I can get more yeses so that 
I'm not in a situation where I overeat because this is what we're working on. We don't want to get to a situation where I need to overeat to, to cope with life. So if I'm taking care of myself and I'm attending to my needs, then I don't need to overeat. That was, that was a fantastic answer. And I'd be curious to know in the beginning, was there some sort of program that you were going to, whether it be like a 12 step program or did you have like a, a, a dietitian or somebody or a coach or somebody that helped you kind of build your program and figure out what worked for you? Or was this more of a journey of, of self-discovery? It's a bit of everything. <laughs> so it started with self-discovery and my journey to self-love and spirituality and, and really connecting with myself. And by the time I kind of felt connected to myself and I felt I was at a place where I wanted to invest into my well-being. And because I was open, I bumped into a friend who recommended a food addiction counselor. And then I started a food addiction recovery program that was inspired by the 12 steps. And in parallel, I was doing other healing modalities that I was across. And, and then I realized that there was a lot I wanted to do in the realm of emotional and spiritual growth because I had reached a stage where uh, I had lost my excess weight and I had reached my target weight, but I was like, and then I thought then that all of my life problems are going to be resolved, that if I have the ideal body, all of my life problems will be resolved. And it's the same mindset that I had since I was very young. When I get, when I reach the, the, the peak of my career, all of my life problems will be resolved. I'll be the happiest woman. It's the same when I've become, when I've become thin, which I was never thin, all of my life problems are going to be resolved. Only to realize, oh, if I don't work on my emotional and spiritual growth, I can very easily go back to where I was before and which has happened so many times is doing a diet and losing the weight and then gaining it again. And that's when I decided to quit corporate life and quit this workaholism and go and jump into the unknown and go into an inner and outer pilgrimage. And I went and spent the summer in a meditation center doing a lot of process work and going very, very deep and, and being invited to connect with my pain and to connect with my vulnerabilities. And I would look and I would look at the teachers and facilitators and like, what pain? I've been a superwoman all of my life. And they would talk about pain. And I'm like, pain until I got to a place where it was layer of pain after layer of pain after layer of pain and and really releasing all of those suppressed emotions allowing this little girl in me who was a robot who was like this perfectionist robot to be this girl who's afraid to be this vulnerable girl who never really expressed any negative emotions they were all so suppressed inside of her and I had to go through a journey of, of really feeling that pain, connecting to that pain, and then uh, going and spending time. It was followed then by a phase where I spent with my parents because I felt 
when I was a child, I was the parent and my parents were the children. And I needed to go back into uh, correcting this relationship where I am the child, even though I was like in my early 40s, and they are the parents. And, and since I had lived so far away for so long, it was also a very nice journey because since I had changed, they had changed as well. And I had forgiven them because I also went through a huge process of forgiving them for everything they have done. The, our relationship totally shifted and, and actually resting in my parents' nest and, and uh, was, was a very nice experience, a very healing experience of uh, putting back relationships where they're supposed to be. Me being the child and them being the parents. Yeah, and, 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 and with that came self-acceptance. Because um, at the end, the addiction was an escape for me. And I was using food to compensate for all my limitations. Mm -hmm. And then now that I did not want to use food anymore, I had to face my limitations and accept all of my imperfections. And, And that was a very big aha moment of going very deep into this attic and, 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 and really connecting to this wounded part of me, to all those rejected parts of me that I was hiding very, very deep and embracing them as they are without wanting to fix them. And in my case, it was my high sensitivity. I am highly sensitive to light. Uh, I am highly sensitive to sounds. I am highly sensitive... My senses are very, very sensitive. So it's very easy for me to get a sensory overload. And in the past, I never, I, I mean, even though the sensory overload had always been there in my life, but I had never processed it or realized that it was something wrong in me or anything. My immediate reaction is to overeat. My immediate reaction was to go and get food and calm my nervous system down. And, 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 and that's why the, the journey of recovery is a journey of exploration because addiction is hiding something. And unless we go very deep, that's when we're going to discover what is addiction hiding. And once we tackle what addiction is hiding, then it lessens the force of the addiction. There's no need for the addiction anymore. That was, that was great. Well, I've added a new question that I like to ask now towards the end of the show, um, since you were on the last time. And that is, was there one, was there one, uh, like famous quote or something that someone told you that just had like a really big impact on your life? Something that, that, that changed your perspective. Yeah, there are many, but I'm just going to use one, which is by Gibran Khalil Gibran. And it goes and God asked me to make peace with my enemy. Uh, so I decided uh, to uh, fall in love with myself. Mm. I like that. I like that. Yeah, I love it. Because, yeah, at the end, we are our worst enemy. And the invitation is to really to connect with ourselves, to realize that 
the problem is not outside. The problem, the problem is inside of us. And the invitation is an invitation to attend to our insights, to take care of ourselves, to give ourselves the permission to be worthy of attention and begin this journey of connecting to us and attending to our needs. Awesome. Well, in, in closing, would you mind telling the audience if they're interested in, in finding a copy of your book, what are the best places to find your book? And if they're interested in following along in your journey, are there any social media profiles or, or do you have a website or anything that they can, can go to to connect with you? Yeah, sure. So the book is called Beyond the Emptiness, How I Found Fullness Outside the Food. And it's available on Amazon. That's very easy. You can go to your local Amazon uh, site and you will find the book and you can order it online. You can download an e a copy or uh, order a hard copy or I mean a soft cover copy of the book. And uh, for those interested in food addiction recovery and that would like to get to know more about me, my Instagram account is abstinent.salads. And yes, they can connect with me there. I always post a lot of stuff about recovery and more specifically food addiction recovery. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the show a second time and, and sharing your story again. I really, really do appreciate you sharing your story because I know that that there's not a lot of people that are talking about the food addiction. And I, I really wanted to really wanted to let my audience hear your story. And I'm so grateful that, that you were willing to come back on after those technical difficulties. And, and I really do appreciate it. So thank you again for, for being a part of it. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for the opportunity. It's always my pleasure. And I'm more than delighted to be here with you. Ruba, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your story with the listeners. If you guys are interested in her book or following her on social media, her links will be in the show notes. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.